So hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and today I'm here with Neil Harvey-Smith. Hello Neil. Hi Ros. Thank you for being on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Um, I've written down here Neil Harvey-Smith, Communications Consultant, Trainer of Preachers, former Head of Media at the Church of England, Friend of Judge Rinder, Debating Champion and my former boss. Did I miss anything out? That's quite a list, isn't it? Yeah. Well, um, I was involved in communications before I became a Christian, and I used to go and sort of teach corporates, basically, yeah. how to do it better, um, how to sell business, that kind of thing. And um, as I sort of became a Christian, I realised that there was a great need within the church, and people kept asking me to do things. So after a few years, I ended up taking this job with the Diocese of Litchfield, uh, which I had no idea whether I'd be able to do. And that and job was? The, jo- the job was their head of communication. So trying to speak with the media, trying to help local churches to, to work with the media, to really share uh, life in the church with them in a, in a positive way. Um, with with mixed success and a lot of stories to tell, maybe for another podcast. Um, I might have heard some of those stories before. <laughs> but it was great. And, um, and thereafter, I got the opportunity to try to do that um, out of Church House Westminster. Um, very different scope mm. and very different forums sometimes, I think, mm. in terms of who the national church is connected with, obviously the political angle, the bishops and the lords. So there are some additional uh, interesting challenges there. Um, but yes, that's what I did. I've now stepped away from that uh, <laughs> with some relief. And, uh, and I have this wonderful life where I do some corporate work, some church work and hopefully uh, try and balance it. Great. Um, I should point out that Neil was my boss when he was working at Litchfield Diocese, not uh, at Church House, or or indeed in the corporate world. I've never been anywhere near the corporate world. Um, So you said you do some training now for Christians as well as the the sort of corporate work and you have that balance. What sort of training do you do for uh, churches, um, other organisations? So I suppose three main bits. Uh, One bit, often through dioceses, Often people from local churches really just want to come along and find out how they can communicate better using traditional media, social media, uh, confidence boosting, a few tips, but also trying to link it back actually to who we are as Christians. Yeah. I think that's very important that we don't see it as technique, but we actually see it as who we are. That's um, really interesting. So, because one of the things I was going to ask you is why, as Christians, we need to learn to communicate better. And I, you know, I was just thinking of the sort of image of the great American preacher Jonathan Edwards who you know there's this sort of image of him reading his manuscript um, you know sort of holding it two inches from his eye because he was very short-sighted and with a candle there kind of lighting it to him and reading it this kind of dull monotone and yet we know I mean history records that he was an incredibly gifted effective preacher and yet didn't seem to have anything of what we would think of as, as maybe good communication skills. And Paul was at pains to say that he was not rated uh, in yeah. some ways as charismatic. Yeah, um, exactly. So given that God can speak through anybody, I mean, there's a great sort of biblical tradition of, you know, Moses saying, well, I can't speak, and all these people saying, don't send me, I can't speak. Why is it important for us as Christians to, to learn to communicate? Can't we just trust God to do it? Um, it would be good if we could, but God <laughs> seems to, for, for reasons best known to himself, we, uh, operate through us, yeah. unworthy and useless as we are. Um, I think the, um, the important thing is being willing to do it. What, what connects all of those people is mm. that despite whatever 
uh, might have been seen as their infirmities or their uh, deficiencies in communicating. They did it yeah. at his command. And we also are under a command to make yeah. disciples, to, we have a number of things. So the key thing is to do it and to do it with holiness. Now, we don't often think about holiness and PR in the same breath, no. and rightfully so, because <laughs> PR is not really what you're aiming at, but it's what people often expect mm. to hear from me. They mm. think it's going to be all about how they can look better, yeah. or um, how they can encourage young people into church by being shinier. Yes. And unfortunately, shiny churches don't encourage young people into church, no. or if they do, they don't keep them, yeah. but uh, Jesus does. Yeah. And the However Spirit sort of does. slick and shiny we can be, we're never going to be as good no. at that as the world. No. But if we are authentic, yeah. uh, then there will be a problem in people's minds and in people's hearts that requires a resolution. I know it from my own life. Um, I, you know, having been an atheist for 30 years, really, um, it was a couple of people who lived in a way, they lived as if Jesus were real. Yeah. They lived as if he were the truth. Yeah. And that created a problem for me that I'd never had before because I don't think I'd ever met anyone who I didn't consider to be a hypocrite yeah. <laughs> before then, whether I was right or wrong. So I think it's when we're distinctive and when we're, we're true to our faith that we create a problem. Yeah, very so, interesting. So hopefully that's encouraging to people. It's not about necessarily techniques, tips, hmm. being a digital native, mm. any of those things, but holiness is incredibly important. Very helpful. Very helpful indeed. So you're here, um, we're recording this uh, at the Jake conference. You can hear another seminar running in the background a little bit. I'm sorry about that. Um, Neil, you're here to give us a seminar on reforming perceptions. What would you say... Um, how would you say evangelicals are perceived um, within the within the kind of mainstream media, but maybe also within the Church of England? How mm. do you think we are perceived by other people? Well, within the mainstream media, evangelical is a boo word. Yeah, uh, it, it's it, it's not it's divorced from any meaning that it might have within the church, and it is taken to mean uh, extremist. Yes. Uh, potentially literalist, potentially mm. fundamentalist. Mm. All of these things have very distinctive meanings, as we know, but actually for the world at large, that's what it's meant to mean. Yes. And it's normally, curiously, it's a strange Americanization mm. of our uh, popular culture, um, it's, it's connected with the religious right, something which we yes. don't really have. In, in the UK, no, that's right. It does have a very different kind of meaning in America. Mm. But, but as you say, I don't think media are able to distinguish those nuances and so it, it sort of takes the meaning that it would have there and they sort of apply that to anyone who uses the term but the in this country. But the fact there are mm. those who the fact there are those who um, are trying to retain the label of evangelical while putting forward positions that uh, shall we Clearly say are, are not, not. Uh, uh, what yes. you would consider traditional evangelical positions yes. is is an interesting one because yes. it, 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 the question therefore is created will, will the term uh, go away become meaningless or yeah. will it become meaningless where well, I don't know which is the greater threat but mm. they're, they're both there so mm. it's, it's a very difficult term but that doesn't mean you should necessarily run away from it okay and what about within the Church of England how are evangelicals perceived do you think it's interesting you know yeah. obviously you've had experience working within the diocese and also at church house and yeah. most of the people I guess working in those places yeah. would not be evangelicals no 
Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm curious to know what you think. It's dangerous to draw generalisations, sure. but obviously there are different, uh, perceived to be different groups of evangelicals. I would say probably conservative evangelicals are seen as somewhat the awkward squad. Yeah. And there are many who wish they would just go away. But unfortunately, um, their churches seem to keep growing, so it <laughs> does seem to be something of a problem. Uh, yeah. The kind of problem many, many would, of course, like yeah. to have. So, no, the, the, yeah. you know, speaking seriously, of course, you know, there is a sense in which the church is is, is lots of things, isn't yeah. it? It's the body of Christ. It's, it's so many different things. One of the things it is is a political entity, mm. and it has figureheads. It has people. It has leadership, mm. and it has people who speak for it. And uh, being a very broad church, yeah. as we know, uh, there's a multiplicity of different views that yeah. can be taken. But there's no doubt that the, with, within the consensus of views that are held, you know, if you're trying sitting in your den at church mm. house to speak for the Church of England somehow, yeah. that conservative evangelicalism is not currently the no. beating heart of the no, uh, spoken very much position so. of the Church I of England. I wonder, I mean, my experience working at the diocese, and, and obviously you know some of this, um, from when we were colleagues together. I say colleagues, Neil we was were. my boss, but we were, we were colleagues. And, um, you know, I was quite shocked at how freely people felt willing to use, to speak negatively about conservative evangelicals publicly in, you know, very kind of mixed env environments, um, you know, and just to assume I guess that there wouldn't be any conservative evangelicals there, um, but also that the majority would agree with them in in disparaging conservative evangelicals, and it it was quite hard sometimes to to feel you were the butt of that from people who were colleagues who you thought you got on with and and was working well with and I wonder if that's a more general thing as well you feel I think we've reached the you're not one of them stage along yeah. with sort of train spotting and uh, other <laughs> <laughs> other things where people think I've, yeah. I've heard of these people but I've never really met one yeah and, and sometimes just they don't know that they've met one and actually like them and and they absolutely. were normal people but but I, but I think one one can take it too far I think it's a blessing in disguise actually the fewer um, people uh, the, the more people get to know uh, anyone who's different to them, the more that yeah. the opportunity is there to learn from each other, to listen to each other and to love yeah, one another. Yeah. And sometimes it can be harder within our own family because those... Um, uh, it hurts the, more. The pain, it matters more. Absolutely. Mm. And it can be much easier with someone who you feel perhaps doesn't even yeah. understand what the term means. So, yeah. so I, I would be very upbeat about those situations. Okay. They can be painful. Yeah. But at the same time, they're wonderful opportunities to witness. Good. I mean, the, there was a moment where I was just crying all over the phone uh, to Neil and he, he encouraged me to keep going. So I'm grateful to you for that. It's interesting. We had a talk uh, here at Jake this morning from Rob Munro and I was very challenged um, in Chester Diocese, they have a sort of uh, group of evangelical clergy that meet, um, sort of 50 or 60 of them. But between them, he said, they have representation on every single diocesan committee. Now, I just thought, that's a, wouldn't that be a great thing to aim for? Because then there's no excuse for saying we don't know evangelicals or we don't know conservative evangelicals because actually the evangelicals have embedded themselves within the life of the diocese so much that they're then able to, to overcome some of those false perceptions and therefore have influence in a way that they, they might not otherwise have been. Um, and so that kind of brings me to my next question is, is sort of how do we reform or, or do we need to reform the perceptions that people might have 
of us as evangelicals. Well, there's no doubt that there are those out there who use uh, the synodical governance of the Church of England mm. to great campaigning effect. Yes, and there are that's, people a, that's a very <laughs> polite way of putting it. Naming no names, but I mean, it's, it's clear, isn't yeah. it, that the agenda, um, there, are, there are people who are very, very good at understanding how to set an agenda and how to use that to mm. promote their own uh, interests. Um, you, you can draw two conclusions from that. One is that you can say we should try to do the same. And the other is that you, you can almost feel that you ought to be yeah. d- distancing yourself, distancing yeah. yourself from the whole thing, to step away from it because the, the pain can be too great. Yes. Um, so I, I would, my, my encouragement to people would, would actually be to do neither of those two things. Okay, what um, should we do? The, the good old muddling along route would be, would, be, would be my thing. Where people do feel genuinely called to play a part in those mm structures of course that's something to be truly encouraged but not to go into it as a sort of and I know you weren't suggesting this mm. but not to go into it as a numbers game no. as, as a power game mm. but if you do go into it out of a genuine interest in bringing to life that which is growing in mm. the church and of course we know that a lot of conservative evangelical churches are growing they are yeah. vibrant yeah. and therefore to be able to share that mm. and one thing I would want to encourage and this is purely anecdotal I think but I would want to encourage people who might feel a little bit um, got at or a little bit under siege to make that first step even though it's painful to reach out to other churches yeah. who, and to actually just just say you know what some of this stuff can melt away yeah. and to share what is going well with others yeah. um, and not just look inward yeah um, and actually taking the initiative in that rather than just kind of yeah, yeah. So, I love so can the I be idea. specific on that. Yeah, right? just a, so in my in my short time uh, in the Church of England wider role, um, one of the things I was ever so keen to do from right across the church, mm. whatever the churchmanship was, to get great stories yes. of life in the church. I did find it disproportionately difficult to get such stories out of uh, what you might call more conservative churches. That's interesting. Social gospel. Uh, absolutely keen to tell stories yeah. everywhere, left, yeah. right, and centre. There are lots of things happening, but somehow I think there's something in the culture that we don't mm. we don't brag, we don't spend all of our time talking about things. Yeah. We just do them. We are church. Yes. The difficulty with that is if you don't tell the stories, people don't actually meet you. No. They don't understand what your church is like. No, exactly. And actually, then all you are is the stereotype and not the the real living community i think that's really helpful to think about how how would conservative evangelical churches start telling those stories better then how how would they connect with some of those uh, networks you know that you were looking for in the in sort of national church England media but also maybe at a, a more local level well, some of it happens in in churchmen uh, that's the wrong one, actually. Crossway is it? more likely to I was happen. I going to say, churchman's slightly more uh, cerebral. Um, <laughs> as you can see, I haven't quite made yeah, my way, and, haven't quite made way through a whole one. I confess to listeners of your podcast, <laughs> but um, but no. Yeah, definitely. But, if you've got stories, we'd love to hear them in cross for crossway. But but then the challenge is, of course, that's good. Uh, but that's within one family. Yeah. How can some of those things be heard? Yeah. Stories of wonderful women's ministry yeah. within conservative churches. People think that it's a question of it's not happening mm. or it being ordained ministry mm. and that whole field in between is rich with stories yeah. that need to be told and yeah. are surprising and therefore newsworthy yeah really helpful and one of the things we do on a sort of uh, occasional basis is uh, the Church of England newspaper contact us 
to say, have you got any stories that we could publish? And we sometimes send them blog posts that we've had or Crossway articles and that sort of thing as a way of disseminating some of that more broadly. But I think, you know, it would be great if just even individual churches were doing that. Um, you know, if there's something happened at your church that's that's just a really great, interesting, newsworthy story, well, actually, you know, contact... I mean, you know, they're desperate for stories, these sort of places, you know, Premier Magazine or Crossway or Church of England News or the Church Times or whatever, and actually get out there what, what we are doing. And the reason for doing that, obviously not for the publicity. Exactly. But in order that people should encounter you. Mm. And it's only by encountering you that some mm. of those barriers can come down. Mm. So I think, you know, it's a bit like good preaching arguably is about getting out of the way of the Holy Spirit mm. um, and 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 this using the media effectively yeah. it's not it's not an end in itself it is a yeah. means to being met lovely I really like that and um, I really like something you said a little while ago about um, muddling through as being a strategy and that's that's so wonderfully Anglican isn't it you know it's kind of we're not we're not um, you know setting out a sort of 10-year plan with points we're, we're just going to kind of you know there's going to be some fuzziness around the edges and we're going to try stuff and it'll work or we'll try other stuff and it won't work and we'll just keep muddling through and I I don't know maybe it's just my personality type I I find that uncomfortable to sit with in some ways but actually it is often the way God works isn't it it's not through you know Luther didn't sit down and, and have his kind of 500 year reformation plan you know he sat in the bar and drank beer and and God sort of made stuff happen around that so I, I think that's really encouraging what else do I have down here um, do you think um, so this is a question I was I was thinking about with respect to so we talked a little bit about how some groups have used the sort of synodical structures and and so on within the Church of England very strategically and effectively to um, enable their agenda to be heard and, and to make changes. Do you think as evangelicals we've had a tendency to be a bit naive about that sort of thing and, and not strategic enough or... Um, not wise enough as we should be using those things i yeah i i wouldn't uh offer a judgment on on anyone sure. as individuals or groups but i would offer some observations in it comparatively yes i would say that there's probably uh, a tendency to try to aim for perfect before making a step Yes. And and that can be that can be very difficult. Very paralyzing Absolutely. actually. Yeah. Um and and therefore you can be broken down into lots of different voices with distinctions that are important to those involved but less important to those on the outside who perhaps need that leadership. Mm. Now, that's not a criticism of anyone, but I do think it's something that's difficult when you're trying to mm. uh, move against change. Yeah. Um and it's been quite clever the way that those who are against change have been almost put in the role yes. of those who want change. Yeah. As if change is the obvious status quo. That's an incredible trick. Yeah. And it's a very powerful psychological position. Um, and, I, and I think, um, you know, I think mm. God will raise people up at the right time. Yeah. There will certainly be a good reason for why what is happening is happening. Sure. And out of crisis comes great change. You know, our theme is the Reformation. There we go. Out of crisis comes great change. Uh, that That is actually what we had before. Were you here before lunch? No, you didn't hear Alas, Rob. Alas, I missed you, Rob Munro. No, well, that's exactly what he said. There we go. It was all about... Um, Hezekiah and how to turn a crisis into a reformation. 
So there we go. We are on message. <laughs> Hezekiah <laughs> Rob Monroe. <laughs> and here's something which Hezekiah didn't do, which was uh, use social media. <laughs> I mean, do you like that sort of neat little segue there? Um, just some thoughts, Neil. Do you think churches could be better at using new media and social media? Should we still be bothering with traditional media? Is that sort of out of out of the you know running these days? Traditional media is now dominated by the agenda of social media. Yes. If you look, if you look at the Daily Mail and the yeah. uh, Guardian online, you see actually. Stagger, I'm going to say something controversial here. Very, very little in the way of difference between them. Yeah. Because they're driven by the same kinds of stories. Yes. yes. Their, their commentary may be different. Their voice. But they're not doing different. independent reporting no, in the no. way that they used to. They're just looking at it's what people are talking traffic. about. So digitally-led mm. mainstream media means that you're getting actually a great convergence, and it's being mm. driven by the agenda of those who use social media, who do tend to be younger, more left-wing, etc., yeah. etc. So, so. I, I think that there is there is a role for churches to be anywhere because yeah. wherever people's attention is focused, Jesus needs to be proclaimed. I used to say this when I was working for the Diocese of Litchfield. I was the online pastor, and I used to go around a lot of deanery synods talking about you know why social media was important. And um, the Church of England has a strapline which nobody knows, which is a Christian presence in every community. And and what I always used to say was, well, what about the online community? actually where is the christian presence online and you know i think that's exactly right we need to be where people are and there are a lot of people spending a lot of their lives on facebook on twitter on instagram these days and that's it personally i feel a great ambivalence towards social media um, and I, I i as someone who's who was very active on it have taken very very much a, a backward step because i do feel yeah. it's actually spiritually a very dangerous place to be as well so i think i do think there's a wider conversation there about what are the right ways to be involved yeah um, is it as a church is it as an individual mm -hmm. i see and i'm sure we all see a lot of people who are concert, uh, who are Christians in leadership yeah. who spend an awful lot of their time online and again I don't criticize but I, I would be interested if I were them to be thinking about how intentional mm. that is mm. or whether it has perhaps slipped from where they wanted to be in the first absolutely. place absolutely and it's interesting because some of those people it's very much I think for them just a, a sort of another mouthpiece and they're not really engaging socially they're not kind of replying to people and doing all this stuff so you know some of the big accounts it's just a you know here's a, a kind of word from John Piper every day or whatever but if you reply to it you don't get a chat with John Piper and and so that's sort of one way of thinking of it. it's not very social but then if you do become social and you engage with it it inevitably becomes incredibly time consuming because you're investing in people and relationships you know in a whole other way than just your your congregation um i had something else interesting i was going to say there and i've forgotten what it, what it was it's also interesting. oh i know no, well it was just you talking about getting stories out mm -hmm. and i was just thinking you know at one level um you know local news is doing this just as much as a sort of you know your big national newspapers these days looking for stories and looking for stories online and actually you know this i think i have been increasingly convinced of the power of the internet at a local level you know we tend to think well we can put stuff out there and anyone in the whole world can see it which is true but they won't and they won't be that interested but people in your local community will also see it and and actually if you can be uh, using uh, social media as a way of connecting with your local newspaper or you know lots of sort of local what I you know the kind of jargon is the sort of influencers online but whatever they are 
um, and sharing those great stories from your church and getting involved in local community stuff on you know which increasingly is happening online that's where those things gather and where the news stories come out and so on you know that can be a great way of engaging with your community um through those sort of new media yeah i mean a facebook account done well and even once a week with a little bit of Mm. interaction Mm. can be incredibly valuable and really doesn't take very long no and and crucially and this is another thing i always uh, say to people it's not so much about what you produce although it's good to be producing content it's about teaching your congregation to share stuff and to share stuff thoughtfully so with their timeline fine but also i don't know if you're advertising like a family day the most fantastic thing is someone can then share that with the sort of local what's on for families for free in your area group and then suddenly you know you're you're reaching a whole group of people who are genuinely the target audience for your thing and let's remember that the greatest growth on facebook now is among the over 50s because of the saturation that was there already so it's it's you know if 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 anyone's out there thinking I'm just hoping this will pass me by. I'll hold on for another 30 <laughs> years and leave it to someone else. I, I, I just don't mm, think the, the data no. backs that up at all. No, that's right. I um, used to go and speak uh, every so often to, to sort of older groups. I, I did a thing for retired clergy on um, on, the, on online media, and I, it was lovely. I There was a lovely tea uh, afterwards, which I enjoyed immensely. <laughs> but also, I really enjoyed I got a lot of feedback from that event, which was mostly people saying, we weren't that interested in what you were going to say, but we always like to come and see our friends and have the lovely tea. But actually, we were really thrilled to hear what you were talking about, and particularly, not just thrilled that it was going to happen for younger generations, which was sort of the focus of my job, but actually really seeing the value of it for those older generations and, and thinking about how social media can be used to connect retired folk, housebound folk, or, you know, the... Um, ways that it can be used to sort of help pastoral care in church is huge and again it's that thinking about the internet at a very local level you know rather than just the the sort of big stuff out there so really interesting and one last question uh neil before we finish we're here at the as i said at the junior anglican evangelical conference we've got lots of people here um who are in the very early stages of ministry or even um just at the stages still of uh, discerning vocation and, and going through selection and so on. What would be the, the thing that you might want to say to people as they're thinking about ministry or starting out in ministry um, about um, how they can best be communicating the gospel to future generations? I think probably the one thing that I would say to them is to accept and seek out the help of others that uh, it can't be done by one person, that with relinquishing control comes pain sometimes, and sometimes things don't happen as you wish. But the way that communication has gone is from the idea of an authority figure sending out and it being passed Mm. down a structure out to this kind of wonderful diversity of voices. In that diversity come threats. And again, we have echoes of the First Reformation, (laughs) I suppose, in that. perhaps don't like who we're cast as in that but you know I I think accept help there will be people out there with a talent and a gifting Mm. and a desire uh, to help Mm. and uh, you know as long as the word is being preached and church life is being shared in an appropriate way with those around those are surely some of the ingredients of a thriving local church. Great. Neil it's been really great uh, to chat to you thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Nice to see you again.
I'm afraid Neil and I chatted for so long that there isn't really time to include an extract from Rob Munro's Jake talk that we mentioned several times uh, in our discussion. I will put a link to that on the website uh, in the post for this podcast episode. And I do really commend to you that talk. It was just a uh, such a helpful um, exposition of Hezekiah's Reformation from the Old Testament and application of principles from that uh, to our situation in the church today. Really encouraging, really practical, really worth listening to. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you've got any comments, uh, any thoughts you'd like to share, any questions or ideas for future podcasts, please do get in touch. You can tweet us at Church Society. You can comment on our Facebook page or you can always email me, ros at churchsociety.org. Next week, we'll be celebrating the Reformation and I'll be chatting with James Carey, author of A Monk's Tale, a comedy play about uh, Luther and the events of the Reformation 500 years ago. Do tune in for that. <laughs>